Let's go to Luke chapter 7. It's a passage that's very familiar to me. It's also in uh, Matthew chapter 11, uh, verses 2 through 19. And um, it's, it's something that I've, I've, I've kind of been collecting, these, these passages of Scripture. Um, if you need a Bible, raise your hand, and one will be provided for you. Just keep your hand up there until an usher sees you, um, and they will get you a Bible. Um, so we're in Luke chapter 7. And I've been collecting these passages of Scripture. Just a couple months ago, I was... Um, Lots of stuff going on, you know, as there is always so many things going on, and I'm driving in my car, and I got another one of these passages. And it's really incredible when you read what's going on just by way of introduction to what's happening here. John the Baptist, uh, who had such an incredible ministry, uh, John the Baptist, who uh, was filled with the Holy Spirit from the womb. Who, who, who was, had a calling. I mean, you know, how, how many of us or, you know, whatever season you're, of life you're in, maybe praying and seeking the Lord as to what your calling is, what your purpose is. Man, John was born knowing what it was. It was told and predicted to him before he was born. He was separated for the work that God brought him onto this earth to do from before his birth. And this, in this covenant, this promise, this oath, uh, a Nazarite vow that he had made to the Lord, raised by a priest, you know. Um, he had so much. And, and yet when God uh, raises him up to the ministry, he goes and lives the life of an ascetic. Uh, not an aesthetic, ascetic, ascetic. He goes to live out in the desert, um, away from this world, just trying to spend time with the Lord to draw closer to God in the knowledge and wisdom of the Lord and, and, and just kind of getting away from it all and that's where his ministry is gonna be. And, and he lives this life of rigorous discipline, you know, eating locusts for food and honey uh, for food. And that was it. That was his diet. You know, it was permitted under the Jewish law, um, but that was all that he would eat. And, and so here he is out uh, living uh, in that community, um, and the ministry starts in and through him, and he starts preaching about repentance and preaching about how even the Jewish people needed to get their hearts right to repent. Because the idea that they had back then is that they were going to walk before the Lord and die and go to heaven because they were born Jewish. And, and, and what John the Baptist was communicating to them was how important it was for their hearts to be uh, surrendered to the Lord, consecrated unto God. That they couldn't be living in deliberate compromise and sin and worldliness and think that they would have all the benefits and privileges of God's chosen people. If they were living like the world, he'd say to them, you need to repent. You need to repent of your sins. And, and you know, you'd think in, in today's environment, that kind of person would be, uh, nobody listened to him. You know, on the desert, but man, the people were ready for God's work and for God's kingdom. They heard there's somebody out there preaching, and they'd go out into the desert to hear him teach and preach. And, and so the people would come out in droves. The worst of the worst sinners were coming out in droves. And, and he would say, you need to repent because the Messiah is coming. The one whose sandal straps I'm not worthy to tie. He's going to come and baptize you in fire. The axe is laid to the root of the tree. This whole system's coming down. You know, you guys need to repent. Get your hearts right. Get your hearts ready for the coming Messiah. And so as he's preaching this, here comes, this was his calling, his purpose, his responsibility was to declare the Messiah. The Messiah comes to be baptized, Jesus, his own cousin. And he says, behold, the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. And, you know, this is the peak of his ministry. Tons of people are there. He's got disciples following him left and right. And so Jesus comes out and he's baptized and he sees the Holy Spirit descending upon him in the form of the dove. They hear the voice, um, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. And, and this kind of jump starts, this kick starts Jesus' earthly ministry. Jesus goes from there and some of John's disciples start following Jesus and they go off uh, following Jesus, you know. And then now John's got less disciples, but he's still got disciples and he's still doing his ministry and he's still trying to prepare the world for, for Jesus who's here, the Messiah. As he continued on in that ministry, more and more people are following Jesus and less and less people are following him until people come to him and say, John, what's going on here? I mean, it's not like it used to be. There were so many people following before, and now everybody's following after this Jesus guy. And 
I, I got to tell you, that's, if you're serving the Lord, there is a certain blessing and encouragement you get from being able to see the fruit. When you see the fruit, you're like, oh, okay, I know what I'm doing this for. We, we're short-sighted. We forget. You know, what am I doing this for? But now as John sees it sort of dwindling, the tree has less and less fruit. He doesn't see the people out there, but he's still preaching the message. He's still being faithful. He could go one of two ways. He could become bitter. He could become resentful. He could start bad-mouthing, you know, whatever's going on. But instead, he says, well, he's the bridegroom. These are his sheep. That's his bride. What am I going to be jealous to have his bride? My job is to prepare the bride for him. I'm a friend of the bridegroom. I'm doing my job. My job is to point them to Christ. And how many places and how many ministries, you know, fall into that trap of gathering people and then when it comes time to direct them to Jesus, they direct them to themselves and they don't let them go. Just come and follow me. You know, man, you got to point them to Jesus. And John the Baptist had that heart to direct them to the Lord. And that's a, that's a challenging thing. It's a great thing. It's a wonderful thing because that's what it's all for. But then to continue and to be steadfast, and he did continue in being steadfast. At some point, uh, he ends up in prison. Uh, we read that in Mark chapter 6, verse 17 through 20. And he ends up in prison because the uh, Herod Antipas uh, was there, and he had uh, married um, Her Herodias, who was married to his brother, her half-uncle, uh, Philip, and, um, and uh, they, they both divorced their wives. They both had an affair with each other, divorced their spouses, and then ran off to Galilee. As, as the, I think history has it, I don't know if it's legend or history, but I think he told Herodias, would you rather be called the wife of a, whatever the political affiliation was of her present husband, or would you rather be called a queen? And she said, oh, okay, I'll, I'll, be, I'll be a queen. And so she left, her, she left her husband, and this was a very ungodly kind of relationship. He was also her half-uncle. So it's all, all weird stuff going on there with the uh, Herodians. Um, but when Herod Antipas came to see John, John said, what you're doing is wrong. It's sinful. It, it, it's, it's terrible. I heard this st story recently I, as I was kind of studying for this te teaching, but if you're familiar with uh, King Henry VIII, um, who did a lot of uh, terrible stuff, especially to his wives. Um, at, at some point uh, for Christmas, Latimer, uh, one of the, uh, the, the, the bishops uh, there, gave him for Christmas a New Testament and a napkin on which he wrote, whoremongers and adulterers, God will judge. <laughs> so like, that's guts, you know? To go to the king, to go to a guy famous for killing people that you know, he didn't like, and say, you're going to be judged by the Lord, you know? And Latimer uh, died a, a martyr's death with Ridley, another uh, bishop at the time. But I say that because I'm secretly hoping people start using his name all the time. I want it to be cool to call people and things Latimer. Um, my wife won't let me call future pets Latimer, cause, but I, I think it'd be really cool to have a Latimer and a Ridley. That's, that's an aside. Um, I also don't want pets, but I want to have something to call that's not a child that... Um, but you, you, you see here John the Baptist with his boldness and with his bravery looking at the face of one who holds his life in his hands, physical life in his hands, and saying, you're in sin. You need to repent of your sin. And it's important that we have that view of sin in our life. It needs to be addressed. It needs to be addressed. Sometimes it's a struggle for us to address it in our lives, for us to address it in our homes as fathers, as husbands, as... I, I, teach at men's ministry. So I'm used to like fathers, husbands, fathers, husbands, sons. You know, you guys got to address sins in, in, in your life, in your home. But mothers and wives and, and daughters, you need to address sin in your life, in your heart. And, and here John the Baptist had the bravery to do that. And because of that, he gets put in prison. And when this um, chapter comes there to verse 18, John has been in prison for about 10 months. And the disciples of John reported to him concerning all these things. So he's in some measure of uh, restraint, but Herod fears him too much to keep him in total isolation. He knew he was a man of God, but he didn't want to listen to the word of God. And so he allows his disciples to come, and as he's there in prison, he can't go anywhere, he can't do anything, he's eating prison food. I don't know if they went and got locusts for him, but he's going to have to eat something else. Um, 
His disciples are coming and they're reporting these things to him. They're reporting to him that Jesus spoke a word and healed a centurion's servant. Jesus went and, and, and saw a funeral procession and raised uh, the son of this widow of Nain. You know, God is doing all these incredible things and he's hearing testimony after testimony and people are being healed and he has an incredible question to ask Jesus. And John, calling two of his disciples to him, sent them to Jesus saying, are you the coming one or do we look for another? And I think, what? Of all the people in the world, that's the last person I would ever expect to be asking that question. I would think it of anybody else. But surely not John. That's, that's the reason why he was on this earth. And yet, he went through a struggle, he went through a difficulty that was so challenging, so overwhelming for him in his circumstances that he was struggling with doubt. He was, it was something that caused him to doubt to the core of who he was. And, 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 and those are the kinds of passages that my heart is collecting. Not because I'm masochistic, but because it's, it's an encouraging thing to me to see that, that there exists in this world struggles and difficulties and hardships that can be so great, that can be so overwhelming, that you would have to ask yourself, what is going on? I don't understand. I don't know what to do. There's been a, maybe a handful of times in my life where you, know, you get a letter in the mail or you, you look at something and all of a sudden all you hear is static. My, my upbringing was such that I am fairly good at like immediate, I try not to like emotionally think about or feel what's happening at a, at a given moment of crisis. I, uh, I'm collecting my resources. Well, what can I do? I can do this, I can do that, I can do the other. I can solve it this way, I can survive, you know? And, and, and almost to a fault, I can like, well, what's the bare minimum I can, I can, I can do here and survive and make, through, make it through this? And I solve the problem sometimes well, sometimes terribly. But there's a handful of problems and challenges and, challenges and difficulties where you can go through and, and you just got nothing. You're like, well, I could, oh, I can't do that. I could do this. I can't do that. And there's no solution. And there's no answer. And those kinds of things can shake a person to their core. And if you're here and you're thinking, well, not a strong Christian, well, what about John the Baptist? What about Elijah, who fled from the, the, the persecution of Jezebel and found himself alone in a cave saying, I am done, just take my life, it's over. What about in Acts chapter 27, verse 20, when Paul is in the middle of this big storm, and he's been tossed and turned for, for 14 days. He hasn't seen the sun. And they've slowly started taking everything on the boat and tossing it overboard until they're finally tossing the tackle overboard. You know what the tackle is? It's what you use to steer the boat. <laughs> you know, if you're on the boat and they're just throwing the tackle overboard, that's, that's, pretty, that's pretty rough. And then it says that one verse there in verse 20, it says, then Paul, it says, we had, when we had all lost hope, that we would live. That we, and, and you could bypass that, but he doesn't say they lost all hope. He says we lost all hope. That's Luke. That's including Aristarchus. That's including Paul. Paul in the middle of that storm, even though he had God's promises, even though he knew what God had for him, said, I think we're gonna die here. <laughs> Paul, who had been through three shipwrecks before. You look at David who was persecuted by Saul and he was being hunted and chased by Saul until finally he comes to a point, despite the, the, the anointing of Samuel, despite the promises that he had, despite the ways in which God had greatly used him, where David comes to a point where he says, nothing remains for me but that one day Saul is gonna catch me and kill me. I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna go to the Philistines, I know the Philistines. And so there exists, I, I hope, I selfishly maybe hope that you never go through a, a single circumstance like that, but there are trials, there are tragedies that are so great that they can shake you to your core, that they can bring you down to asking questions like this, trying to understand what's happening in the world. And what John is struggling here is with unmet expectations. All right, he's the Messiah, he's hearing about all these miracles that are happening, but John's been in prison for 10 months. If you look at the message that John would teach, John would teach a message of judgment. 
Rightly so. Jesus is going to judge the earth. But John would teach a message of, you know, the winnowing fork is in his hand. He's going to baptize you with fire. The axe is laid to the root of the tree. But the messages that he's hearing is Jesus is healing the blind and making the lame to walk again and resurrecting people. He's healing the servants of centurions. What is this? This is not what I expected. Where is the winnowing fork? Where's the axe? Where's the fire? And in his struggle, in his unmet expectations, he sends his disciples to to Jesus. In verse 20, the men who had come to him, they said, John the Baptist has sent us to you saying, are you the coming one or do we look for another? And so these disciples come. I mean, they could have used a little bit more tact, but they have this question. They ask it in front of everybody. Everybody's there for healing. And uh, Jesus isn't intimidating, intimidated by it, but it's for the sake of John that um, I think Jesus is moved. In verse 21, it says, at that very hour, he cured many infirmities, afflictions, and evil spirits. And to many blind, he gave sight. And it, it would seem that they ask this question publicly. Jesus is busy doing ministry. It almost seems like he doesn't answer them. He just keeps doing ministry. Can you see him going from person to person? They ask the question, hey, uh, John sent us to ask you a question. Are you the Messiah or should we wait for someone else? And Jesus just pretends like they haven't asked it. He just goes on and he, what are you here for, for healing? I hear, you know, you're blind, you could see again. And what are you, you can't hear me. Okay, well, you know, and he heals them and he raises the lame and he's helping the dead to, 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 to stand and live and walk again. And he's helping the lame to walk. And he just goes on and on and on throughout that hour. And then finally, as he's healing all these people, he turns to them and he answers them. And he says to them, go and tell John the things that you have seen and heard that the blind see and the lame walk and the lepers are cleansed and the deaf hear and the dead are raised and the poor have the gospel preached to them. And, and each one of these miracles is fulfilled in some promise in Isaiah. You know, the blind see is in Isaiah 61 and Isaiah 35. The lame walking, Isaiah 35. The deaf hearing, Isaiah 35. The dead living is in Isaiah 26, 19. The poor hearing the good news, Isaiah 61, 11. Between those three passages in Isaiah, those are all prophetic. Those are all messianic passages. They're all talking about the things that Messiah will do when he comes. Essentially, what Jesus is saying to him is that I am not the Messiah that's come here to meet your expectations. I'm not a Messiah based upon who you think a Messiah should be or what a Messiah should look like. I'm here to be the Messiah that's based upon the scriptures. I'm here to fulfill what God wants me to be as the Messiah and the Savior. And it's a struggle. You could go through difficulties and hardships in life and struggles that you don't understand that can be so overwhelming that you look to Jesus and say, well, that's not what I thought you would do. You can have the deadlines and be like, all right, okay, it's going to be okay as long as Jesus does this and the deadline is passed and he didn't do it. Okay, oh, well, maybe he could do this over here and then that deadline is passed and he doesn't do it. And it's been 10 months that he's been sitting in that prison cell and now Jesus' response to him is, you go back and tell John what you saw and what you heard and, and, and basically what they saw and what they heard is that Jesus was fulfilling the prophecies about him in the scriptures. I'm doing what the Bible says I'll do. I'm doing exactly what the Messiah is spoken of and prophesied of that he would do. And then he gives him, I think, a fairly sharp rebuke. He says, and blessed is he who is not offended because of me. Happy is the person who isn't stumbled because of how I do the things that I do, because of the kind of Messiah that I am, not just the Messiah that they expect me to be. That word offended is to put a stumbling block or an impediment in the way upon which another may trip or fall to be offended. And he said, man, happy is the person that isn't offended because I am who I am. I'm who God made me to be. I am God, you know? 
And God doesn't feel the need to kind of lower himself to give an explanation. Well, the reason why is because I'm doing this and because I'm doing that and what I'm going to do, what you see, John, is what's going to happen five years from now or ten years from now or six months from now. He says he doesn't explain it to him. And the reason why he doesn't explain it to him is because if he were to explain to John what he's doing, it would undo the whole reason why John is going through this trial. Yeah, you know, it's, it's, it's a dangerous thing to, to play in this realm, right? Of when you go through a trial asking God why. Because you might not get an answer to the why. The way that I like to think of it is, it's okay to ask God why. He might give you the answer as to why you're going through it. A harsh trial, a painful, a difficult trial. But he might not give you an answer. And if he doesn't answer you, it's only because it would undo the purpose for which you're going through the trial. And that's something that he won't compromise on. He has only allowed that difficulty and trial into your life because it's necessary. It's necessary for your spiritual growth. And if he were to sit down and explain the whole thing to you, it would no longer fulfill its purpose because it would no longer require faith. It would no longer require trust. Now you understand it all. And you would learn to be the kind of person that will obey when it's explained to them. Will obey when they under, only when they understand all the details. And, and, and there's, a, there's a limited usefulness for a life like that. You can only grow so far, grow so far as a Christian, if you only obey the word when you understand what God's telling you to do or you understand why. And so the Lord sometimes trains and teaches us by not explaining to us all the reasons for what he does. much as he did for Job, right? Job's trial was so great that without any kind of metaphor or poetic language, Job, a righteous man, a godly man, came to a point where he said, Lord, if you would just have not a, if you would just take my life, I'm not, gonna, I'm not gonna do it because I'm a good Jew, you know, I'm a good Jewish man. And that would be wrong and sinful, but Lord, just, I'm done. I got nothing else to live for here on this earth, God. What are you doing? For David to say, Saul's just going to kill me one day. For Paul to give up hope. For John the Baptist to doubt. And so we go through difficulties and struggles and trials like that. And then if, if God were to have sat down and explained to Job everything that he was doing, then what God was proving out in the life of Job is that God is worthy of being worshipped even when he doesn't explain what he's doing. He's worthy of worship. He is a glorious God. And so now if he sits down and explains to Job, well, here's what I'm doing, then what's the point of what he just went through? God will not waste it. He's not one to waste our trials and our struggles and our difficulties. He wants to redeem it for his glory. He wants to make something glorious out of it. And maybe you're going through something like that. Maybe you're going through something agonizing, something that you can't see through, that you don't understand or have a solution for. And you don't understand why you don't have the answer. And you're asking the Lord why. Well, the, the way that we should respond to it is look at what God is doing. Look at how he's being faithful to his word. And he said, blessed is he who is not offended because of me. And there are many people who are offended because of Jesus, aren't there? Well, I mean, I could put up with anybody. But if you say Jesus, Buddha, you know, Confucius, Harry Krishna, you know, hey, everybody's got their thing. Jesus, no, 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 no. What are you talking about, Jesus? Many who were offended because of Jesus, even in the New Testament, they were offended at his teaching. They were offended because of his miracles. They were offended because of his miracles. They were offended when he did the miracles. They were offended where he did the miracles. What, you're gonna do it on a Saturday? What, you're gonna heal this person in your hometown? I'm offended. They were offended because of how familiar they were with Jesus. They were offended because he suffered. Ah, I couldn't have been the Messiah. Look at how he's suffering. People get offended at Jesus all the time, but blessed is he who is not offended because of me. And we have our own uh, prisons that we get locked in for 10 months. You know, we can go through great suffering or disillusionment. We can go through great fear directionlessness, anxiety, all these things, you know, through very real trials, you know, the loss of a child, you know, the loss of, of a spouse, 
Those are, those are heartbreaks. Those are things that just are completely overwhelming. But the answer that the Lord has for him is that, John, you're asking the wrong question. You know that I'm the Messiah. You know because you saw the Holy Spirit descend upon me and remain upon me. You heard the voice from heaven. And the reports that you're hearing in prison, John, are all demonstrations of the fulfillment of the prophecies pertaining to the Messiah. Your question, John, is not whether or not I'm the coming one or you should wait for another. What you're struggling with is why haven't I saved you? Why haven't I gotten you out of this? Why haven't I delivered you? And, and, and all I can say about that, John, is blessed is he who is not offended because of me. The things that they heard and saw show me that God is good. They show me that God does have compassion on the hurting, right? They saw the blind healed and the lame and the lepers and the deaf and the dead raised and the poor. He's compassionate on the hurting. He sees the pain. He knows that it's there. He is a God of deliverance and rescue. He is more powerful than my problem. He is love. He reaches out to the weak and the disenfranchised, and he brings salvation to those whom the world rejects. And he says to them, look. Look at what's going on outside of your prison cell, John. Look at what he's doing in the lives of other people. Look at the relief of the years of anguish that has worn heavily upon the hurts and the hearts of those who are hurting around you. He says, hear. Hear what the Lord is doing outside of your prison cell. Hear the witnesses of the changed lives and hearts. And he tells him to remember. Remember what God has done in your life. Remember what he said in the scriptures. Remember your history with the Lord. God has been faithful before. He's not going to forsake or abandon you now. The challenge or the difficulty is that it, there's a lot that it doesn't tell me, right? Blessed is he who is not offended because of me doesn't answer a lot of questions. And when we have our own personal blindness, our own personal deafness, our own personal forgetfulness, it can lead to distrust. We're not sure if we can trust it because it's been a really long time. And I don't see a solution. I don't see a way out. I mean, John was, I would have been losing my mind to be stuck inside of a prison cell. And the king likes to come and hear me tell him the truth, but doesn't want to do anything about it. To someone like John, you know, the Baptist, to see, to just be forced to witness for 10 months somebody who doesn't want to do anything about the truth, it's like murder. <laughs> Why do you want to come and hear me talk about the truth anymore? And yet I have to tell you the truth because I'm John the Baptist but you're not going to do anything about it. You're just heaping up wrath unto yourself. And so he's sitting there until he's finally thinking, I don't, I don't know, can I trust him? Are you the one who is coming for me, right? So that's what he's really wanting to know. Are you the one that's going to deliver me? And I, I don't know the answer to why you might be going through whatever trial you're going through. If he doesn't explain it to you, he doesn't always explain it to me either. And I'm here trying to figure out why he has me going through it. But I can tell you this, that when we go through trials like that, we learn priceless things about God and about ourselves. We learn things that we wouldn't learn any other way when we go through trials like this. These kinds of trials are the ones that purify our faith and produce depth of relationship and commitment to God. And they produce Christ-likeness. During trials like these, we become more compassionate. We grow in humility. And when we come out on the other side of trials like these, and you will, you will make it. You'll come out on the other side of the trial, one way or another. It won't be because of anything in your faithfulness or because of how strong your grip is on God. 
Because John's grip was slipping. Paul's grip on that boat was slipping. David's grip was slipping. Job's grip was slipping. But when you come through the trial, and you will, it'll be because of his faithfulness. And there are trials in life where if you had to contribute just a little bit, if you had to contribute 1%, 0.1% to your own deliverance, you wouldn't make it. <laughs> there, are, there are things in life that you go through that are like that. But you'll come out on the other side of that trial. Because God will have the final say. And it's important in those moments that we remember God's promise. The Lord is reminding John of his promises, reminding John of what the Bible says. When Paul is going through the storm, the Lord sends an angel. You know what the angel says to Paul? Remember, I made you promises. I told you you're going to go to Rome. You're going to go to Rome. The Lord reminds us of his word and of his promises. And on the other side of those storms, Paul says in the book of Philippians chapter 1, verse 6, being confident of this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in you will be faithful to complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. Paul can say that because he went through that. Because he went through storms and challenges and difficulties where he thought, I don't think I'm going to make it to the end. But then he made it to the end. And then he can turn around with confidence in the power of God and in, the, and, and, and faith in the promises of God enough to look to us and say, you're going to make it. Because that fourth shipwreck I went through, that was a really bad one. Not the one where I was a day and the night in the deep. The other one where I was 14 days and I couldn't see the sun, that was a really bad one. And I did not think I was going to make it. But God brought me through to the end. And God can bring you through to the end. He can carry you through to the other side of that. And you can encourage others who are going through it. Now it's important to remember that when we go through the deliverances that we go through, that we will go through, it's not always my definition of deliverance. I've been kind of laughingly going through 2 Timothy because at some point Paul says to Timothy, you saw how God delivered me at Lystra? You know how God delivered Paul at Lystra? God, he was stoned to death at Lystra. And then God brought him back to life. With, most scholars think, with the bruises. <laughs> you know? <laughs> with all the, you know, all the stuff. He did not look the same as he did before. You know? And he gets up and he walks back into Lystra. And he says, look, God delivered me. <laughs> like, oh, man, hold on, Paul. You know? And he tells Timothy there, I know God's going to deliver me now. But he's heading towards martyrdom. Because the ultimate deliverance is he's going to go to heaven. Where he's not going to have pain or sickness or sorrow. Where he's going to understand and know even as he is fully known. It's like, man, that's the greatest deliverance of all. That's the kind of deliverance that John the Baptist is going to get. He's going to be delivered. He's going to first be delivered of his head. But then he's going to be delivered into heaven. Where he'll be able to hear what Jesus is going to say about him in just a little bit, which he does not hear, which we get the privilege of hearing. And so there he says, when the messengers of John departed, again, he can't explain all these things to them. He can't make it all plain to them. But once they're gone, he begins to speak to the multitudes concerning John. One, one, uh, one pastor liked to put it, hey, I won't see Jesus talking to the messengers and then turning around to get a drink of water and thinking in his head. What did you go out there to see? <laughs> so he turns around to the multitudes. I mean, it doesn't say that, so I can't say that that happened, but you can, you can imagine it if you want to. But he goes to the multitudes and he says, what did you go out there to see? Before we go into this next portion, it's important to recognize something. The question that these two disciples asked, they asked publicly. They asked in front of all these people. They all heard it. And now Jesus is not worried. Oh, you know, are they going to second guess whether or not I'm the Messiah? No. Jesus is concerned with John the Baptist's legacy. Because John the Baptist, in his moment of doubt, it got exposed publicly. Have you ever had 
an embarrassing moment in your Christian walk? And have you ever experienced the gentleness of the Lord? I mean, certainly there are moments when it's publicly addressed and dealt with, but aren't there so much more moments where Jesus privately pulls you aside? He says, you need to get your heart right. And, and pull, you know, I'm gonna help you, clean you off. If you're ready, we're gonna repent, and then we're gonna go back out there, okay? He dust yourself off, okay? You know, he cleans off your lapel. Let's go back out there. And you think, wow, God, you're so merciful. You dealt with that privately? But here, John the Baptist, in his, in his doubt, in his struggle, in his kind of struggle of faith, it was public. People heard it. People there that had so much respect for John before, thinking, what's going on with John? Well, I, I thought so much better of him than this. And so Jesus now turns to the crowd, and in, in, in incredible grace and mercy, he, he vindicates John. He, he defends John. He confirms his life and ministry. And I, I love that about Jesus. Where he will take you at your worst and show you so much grace, so much mercy. If you have a humble heart, repentant heart, he's preserving your legacy, right? He's actually preserving his own grace and, and power in and through your life, because it's not us that did it, but he's so gentle with us. You know, what is he putting crowns on us for? What do we do for it? But yet he puts crowns on us, like we did anything. He gives us the will to act according to his good purpose. How crazy is that? That's probably the thinking that's gonna go on in our hearts as we throw the crowns back down before him in worship. But here, you know, he says to the people, what did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken in the wind? What are you, did you not have enough reeds in Jerusalem, you know, or Jericho that you went out to Bethabara to see John baptizing people? You wanted to see some reeds shaking in the wind? No. What did you go out to see? A man clothed in soft garments? Those who are gorgeously apparelled and live in luxury are in king's courts. You didn't go out there because his clothes were nice, because he looked all flashy. You went out there to some, for something else. But what did you go out to see? A prophet? Because they went out there to see a prophet, didn't they? They heard, hey, somebody's saying they've heard the word of God out in the desert. Let's go hear what he has to say. It's not because his clothes look nice. It's not because I need more desert time. You know? Yes, I say to you, and more than a prophet, and the, this is he of whom it is written, behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare the way before you. For I say to you that among those born of women, there is not one greater, there is not a greater prophet than John the Baptist, but he who is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. I don't know if there's a higher accolade that he could have given to John the Baptist. Is there? Is as far as everyone that's ever lived, from creation to the, to the conclusion of the Old Covenant, because John the Baptist died before the fulfillment of the New Covenant. From, from creation till now, at the very tippity-top, there's John the Baptist. Not Elijah, not Moses, not Zechariah, not Isaiah. It's John the Baptist. In other passages of Scripture, we see that he never performed a miracle. But you know what? He was faithful. He was faithful. It wasn't flashy, but he was faithful. And the Lord loves and blesses and rewards faithfulness. He's not looking for the fruit or the rewards. He's looking for faithfulness. He'll take care of the fruit. He grows the fruit. He's looking for the fruit, but he does the fruit part. You do the faithfulness part. You do the obedience part. And it really shows how much he dearly and greatly values all that we do for him. I don't know if John was taking record, but God was taking record. God's taking record of you. If you're in a trial, if you're going through an overwhelming difficulty or a heartache, you're, you know, you're, you're paying a personal price. No one that's trying to be faithful in this world can do so faithful for Christ, can do so without paying a personal private price. 
for being faithful. And nobody else sees that. You might not be able to share that with the people that are closest to you. But God knows. And he takes record of it. He knows the price that you're paying. And he values it dearly. And I hear that and I think, man, I wonder what Jesus thinks of me. I wonder what he thinks of the things that I've done for him. It's not just the things that I've done, but like what's been the motivations of my heart? I know I've got a lot of stuff that's going to be burned in the fire. But man, shouldn't we all ask ourselves that question? Sometimes we can spend so much time thinking about, I wonder what so-and-so thinks, and I wonder if so and I can't do that because then so-and-so is going to think this, and if I do that, then so-and-so is going to think that, and we never stop to think, what does Jesus think? What's his evaluation? And in the end, isn't his evaluation the only one that matters? You're not going to be judged according to what so-and-so thinks. It's really him that's going to be the judge. I have to ask myself, am I ready to stand before him? If you haven't accepted him as your savior, are you ready to stand before him? There's only one way to be saved. And if you've never committed your life to him, you've never repented of your sins, you're still lugging your sins around through this life, doing whatever you want, whatever you feel like, you're not gonna waltz into heaven like that. You gotta surrender your life to Jesus and if you haven't done that, you can do that tonight. But if you're here and you're a believer and you've been walking and being faithful for a really long time or maybe for a really short time, are you ready to stand before him? Is there yet not some, that, some things you could do for him, something you could surrender to him? Something maybe he's laying his hand on in your life and asking you to, to give up that you can do for his namesake? for the sake of one day being able to stand before him and hear him say, well done, good and faithful servant. It's, it's, it's a needed reminder. It's a convicting reminder to me. If you want to hear him say that, you have to do well. You have to be a good and faithful servant. I love how generous and gracious and merciful Jesus is with John. And he's willing to be generous and gracious and merciful. He has been. But have we surrendered to him? And if we're not ready to stand before him at his appearing, when are we going to get ready? When are we going to do that thing for him? When are we going to surrender? When are we going to make our decisions and our choices? We need to choose. And then... Verse 29, it says, When all the people heard him... Even the tax collectors justified God, having been baptized with the baptism of John. But the Pharisees and the lawyers, they rejected the will of God for themselves, having not been baptized by him. And so the tax collectors and the worst of the worst sinners write in quotes, the worst of the worst sinners. Because pride is a sin too, so the Pharisees should have been in that. I don't know who isn't the worst of the worst sinner. But if you think you're not, you've probably got more problems than you think you do. But the tax collectors, they were baptized by him and they hear what Jesus says, says about John and they're like, yeah, that's right. That's why I went out there because I, I knew it. When I saw him, when I heard how he, I know that was Jesus' testimony about John, that's right. But the Pharisees, they didn't accept what Jesus had to say about John because they didn't accept John. They would say he was, ah, he's demon possessed. He's some crazy lunatic out in the desert. You know, who, who needs to listen to him? Because when they went to John, John would say, you need to repent. Who warned you to escape the fires of hell, you brood of vipers? You know, it's like, you know, when the righteous show up, you know, and the quote unquote, you know, the super spiritual religious show up, you know, and he's like, brood of vipers? Were you trying to escape hell? Somebody told you? You're finally listening? You know? And so, and so they didn't want to accept this testimony that Jesus had about, about John. And the Lord said, to whom then will I liken this men, the men of this generation? And what are they like? Isn't that an interesting question? Just like kind of Jesus thinking in his, he sees the reactions. He sees like, you know, the, 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 the sinners are like, yeah, that's right. We love John. We love Jesus. The Pharisees are like, we hate John. We hate Jesus. He goes, man, what are you guys like? There's got to be something that I can compare you guys to. 
you know what? It's kind of like when you go to the market and there's kids that are out there in the market. And you know, kids will just start playing one thing or another. They make up a new game and they're playing. And so, you know, especially back then, all the kids would know each other, a town of 70 to 200 people. All the kids would know each other by name. They all go to market at the same time, the same day, and they're all playing. And some of them are like, hey, let's play wedding party. It's probably all the girls. Let's play wedding party. You know, we'll take out the flute and we'll dance and celebrate and it's going to be awesome. And then you know, some of the kids are like, no, nah, I don't want to play that. That's boring. I don't want to play that one. And so then some of the other kids say, I don't know which kids are doing this, but let's play funeral. You know, we'll be somber and it'll be very sad and depressing. There's those kids are out there. And... Uh, <laughs> And so, and so then they go over to this side, to the other extreme, and they're playing that game. And then there's a couple of the kids that are like, nah, I don't like their game either. Also, I don't have any ideas. I don't want to do anything for anybody. And, uh, and you think, man, there's no pleasing some of those kids. Some of those kids are just not going to be pleased, you know? So he says to them, they are like children sitting in the marketplace and calling to one another, saying, we played the flute for you and you did not dance. We mourned to you and you did not weep. For John the Baptist came neither eating bread nor drinking wine, and you say he has a demon. And then the Son of Man comes eating and drinking, and you say, look, a glutton and a wine-bibber, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. It's like, well, we're both saying the same message. We're both saying the same truth. He came like an ascetic with, you know, the, you would think that the religious would love him. The self-discipline and the strength and the, look at how he goes out in the desert. Oh, he's, he's holy and out there, doesn't come close to the sins of the city. Man, I love that guy, right? You'd think, but they hated him. And then Jesus comes into the city and he hangs out with them and he, he spends time with them and he eats with them and they say, ah, we hate him too. And, and Jesus says, the reason what, what's being exposed here is it's not that you need somebody to tell you the message differently. It's that you hate the message. It's the same message. You just don't like God or the word of God or the heart of God because he tried every which way to give it to you. But there's just no pleasing you because you don't want to be pleased because you don't like the heart of the Lord. And if you don't like the heart of the Lord, then there's nothing else for you. And then he says this incredible verse, but wisdom is justified by her children. It's, a, it's an amazing verse that kind of can slip right past you, but basically what Jesus is saying to him, to them, to us, is that wisdom earns the right to be called wisdom because of the kind of life that wisdom produces. There's plenty of people out there saying that they have wisdom. I have wisdom, come listen to me. I have wisdom, come listen to me. I have wisdom, come listen to me. Let me see what kind of life Obedience to your wisdom produces. And then when I see the children of that wisdom, that's real wisdom. Does that make sense? Wisdom is justified by her children. And I love that verse. There's so many different uh, things out there that are purported to be wisdom or purported to be of the Lord or, you know, have you thought about this? Have you thought about that? Oh, what if this challenge? It's easy to challenge things. It's easy to deconstruct something. It's easy to, to tear something down. But to really build something up, it takes truth. And so time passes and you say, what life has it produced? Well, that was not wisdom. Look at the life that it produced. I've, I, I'm, I'm, I'm not too old. I'm, I'm older than some. I'm younger than others. But I've been around long enough to see a lot of people try out different things. And I'm a very... Uh, I'm, I'm comfortable with like consistency and monotony. I could just stay right there and just do the same thing over and over and over again. Joey's nodding his head because he knows it's true. And I could just sit there and I, and I watch people say, well, what if I do this and try that? And I say, all right, cool. And I'll wait six months, two years, 10 years. Oh, that worked out. Awesome, good for them. Or they, I think God is telling me to do this. Well, the Bible kind of says, no, but God is showing me this. And if you really think about it, doesn't this look sound a little bit like the Lord? all right, I mean, I'm not here to control or manipulate. I don't go for it, you know? I mean, I don't say go for it if I don't think it's biblical, but I might just be like, you know, and let it happen, you know? And, and, and then time passes and six months, 12 months down the line, you know, people are, in, you know, either doing great because it was the Lord or in denial because they don't want to own up to the fact that they made a bad choice. 
And that's, that's what's most uncomfortable for me, when they're, they're in denial, like clearly their life is burning around them, you know, and they're justifying it. And they're saying, well, no, actually what I meant was, and when you think about it, I'm like, oh man, this is really sad. <laughs> I don't say it, but I might be thinking it, you know. And, 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 and so it's important for us to look at that, right? If you look at the wisdom that's purported in this world, you look at the messages that are preached by social media or by the news or <clears throat> by anybody, you know? What's it producing? If it's not producing Christ-likeness, then I can just discount that. I don't have to worry, what if they're right, you know? I, there, there was a, I'm not planning on finishing on this, but I remember uh, it's like a, a fad with like uh, Christian musicians where they're like uh, renouncing the faith, you know? And I remember when that started, uh, when I started hearing about this and, and it started with, I remember one particular guy and I'm not saying he started everything, but I remember this one particular guy and he was just like, oh, you know, I'm, I'm rebelling against all the things that I think could be better and I'm gonna, you know, write all this, you know, music and stuff about me complaining about the church. And I'm like, oh, okay, you know, I listen to him. I'm like, yeah, you know, he's got some points there. Yeah, that we, sh we should do that better. We could do this better. Yeah, yes, that's true, you know. Six months pass by and he divorces his wife. Six months pass by and he marries somebody else and six months pass by and now he's an atheist. And I'm like, you wasted a lot of people's time. You know, I, I, I would just, I, what, what upsets me about that is the deception at the beginning, right? Where you're just like, oh, I'm, I'm just going to critique and criticize, you know, what it is that, that God is, you know, his bride, you know? And then and you deceive and you draw people out, but really, you're on this other path. And I'm not blaming them. I don't know if they know it because people get deceived. You deceive yourself. Isn't that terrible? It says in the last days, people will be deceived and they will, be, they will deceive and be deceived. And so wisdom is justified by her children, right? We should learn to recognize wisdom and cling to the truth and not be deceived or turned aside to the right or to the left um, by people purporting to have wisdom. If you haven't accepted the Lord as your Savior, as the worship team comes back up, man, please, there's going to be pastors up front that are here. Um, you can go and pray with one of them. Um, and, uh, and they would love to lead you to a place of peace and confidence as far as it pertains to your eternity. You don't have to live in the fear of death anymore. If you are here and maybe you're having a crisis of faith like John the Baptist was, like Paul has, like David has, there's nothing to be ashamed of. You can come up for prayer. And say, I'm having a crisis of faith. I'm going through an incredible trial. I don't know how to deal with this. Can you pray with me? Can you help me go through this? Can you ask the Lord to be with me through this challenge? You could do like John did. You know what? For all John's challenges here, his crisis of faith, he did the right thing with it. He went to Jesus with it, didn't he? He said, I have a doubt. I'm going to go ask Jesus. And you could do that here tonight too. Looking around, I've, I, I've seen you go through some, some pretty heavy stuff. And if you're struggling, if you're doubting, if you're afraid, fearful, you can, you can have prayer. That's what we're here for. The Lord loves you and he's put this message before you because he wants you to have hope. So don't walk away and leave the hope here. Pick it up and embrace it and receive it.